Section 9 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Chapter 3, Part 1 labor as the efficient cause of the domain of property nearly all the modern writers on jurisprudence taking their cue from the economists have abandoned the theory of first occupancy as a too dangerous one and have adopted that which regards property as born of labor in this they are deluded they reason in a circle to labor it is necessary to occupy says mr cousin Consequently, I have added in my turn, all having an equal right of occupancy, to labor it is necessary to submit to equality. The rich, exclaims Jean-Jacques, have the arrogance to say, I built this wall, I earned this land by my labor. Who sets you the tasks, we may reply, and by what right do you demand payment from us for labor which we did not impose upon you? all sophistry falls to the ground in the presence of this argument but the partisans of labor do not see that their system is an absolute contradiction of the code all the articles and provisions of which suppose property to be based upon the fact of first occupancy if labor through the appropriation which results from it alone gives birth to property the civil code lies the charter is a falsehood our whole social system is a violation of right to this conclusion shall we come at the end of the discussion which is to occupy our attention in this chapter and the following one both as to the right of labor and the fact of property we shall see on the one hand our legislation in opposition to itself and on the other hand our new jurisprudence in opposition both to its own principle and to our legislation I have asserted that the system which bases property upon labor implies, no less than that which bases it upon occupation, the equality of fortunes, and the reader must be impatient to learn how I propose to deduce this law of equality from the inequality of skill and faculties. Directly his curiosity shall be satisfied. But it is proper that I should call his attention for a moment to this remarkable feature of the process, to wit, the substitution of labor for occupation as the principle of property, and that I should pass rapidly in review some of the prejudices to which proprietors are accustomed to appeal, which legislation has sanctioned, and which the system of labor completely overthrows. Reader, were you ever present at the examination of a criminal? Have you watched his tricks, his turns, his evasions, his distinctions, his equivocations? beaten, all his assertions overthrown, pursued like a fallow deer by the inexorable judge, tracked from hypothesis to hypothesis. He makes a statement, he corrects it, retracts it, contradicts it. He exhausts all the tricks of dialectics, more subtle, more ingenious, a thousand times than he who invented the seventy-two forms of the syllogism. So acts the proprietor when called upon to defend his right, at first he refuses to reply. He exclaims, he threatens, he defies. Then, forced to accept the discussion, he arms himself with chicanery. He surrounds himself with formidable artillery. 
crossing his fire, opposing one by one and altogether occupation, possession, limitation, covenants, immemorial custom, and universal consent. Conquered on this ground, the proprietor, like a wounded boar, turns on his pursuers. Quote, I have done more than occupy, he cries with terrible emotion. I have labored, produced, improved, transformed, created. This house, these fields, these trees, are the work of my hands. I changed these brambles into a vineyard, and this bush into a fig tree. And to-day I reap the harvest of my labors. I have enriched the soil with my sweat. I have paid those men, who, had they not had the work which I gave them, would have died of hunger. No one shared with me the trouble and expense. No one shall share with me the benefits. You have labored, proprietor. Why, then, do you speak of original occupancy? What, were you not sure of your right, or did you hope to deceive men and make justice an illusion? Make haste, then, to acquaint us with your mode of defense, for the judgment will be final, and you know it to be a question of restitution. You have labored, but what is there in common between the labor which duty compels you to perform and the appropriation of things in which there is a common interest? Do you not know that domain over the soil, like that over air and light, cannot be lost by prescription? You have labored. Have you never made others labor? Why, then, have they lost in laboring for you what you have gained in not laboring for them? You have labored. Very well. But let us see the results of your labor. We will count, weigh, and measure them. It will be the judgment of Balthazar, for I swear by balance, level, and square, that if you have appropriated another's labor in any way whatsoever, you shall restore it every stroke. Thus the principle of occupation is abandoned. No longer is it said, the land belongs to him who first gets possession of it. Property forced into its first entrenchment repudiates its old adage, justice ashamed, retracts her maxims, and sorrow lowers her bandage over her blushing cheeks. And it was but yesterday that this progress in social philosophy began, fifty centuries required for the extirpation of a lie. During this lamentable period, how many usurpations have been sanctioned, how many invasions glorified, how many conquests celebrated? The absent dispossessed, the poor banished, the hungry excluded by wealth, which is so ready and bold in action. Jealousies and wars, incendiarism, and bloodshed among the nations. But henceforth, thanks to the age and its spirit, it is to be admitted that the earth is not a prize to be won in a race. In the absence of any other obstacle, there is a place for everybody under the sun. Each one may harness his goat to the bairn, drive his cattle to pasture, sow a corner of a field, and bake his bread by his own fireside. But no, each one cannot do these things. I hear it proclaimed on all sides, quote, Glory to labor and industry, to each according to his capacity, to each capacity according to its results. End quote. And I see three-fourths of the human race again despoiled, the labor of a few being a scourge to the labor of the rest. Quote, the problem is solved, exclaims Mr. Hennigan. Property, the daughter of labor, can be enjoyed at present and in the future only under the protection of laws. It has its origin in natural law. It derives its power from civil law and from the union of these two ideas, labor and protection, 
positive legislation results. End quote. Ah, the problem is solved. Property is the daughter of labor. What, then, is the right of accession, and the right of succession, and the right of donation, etc., if not the right to become a proprietor by simple occupancy? What are your laws concerning the age of majority, emancipation, guardianship, and interdiction, if not the various conditions by which he who is already a laborer gains or loses the right of occupancy, that is, property? Being unable at this time to enter into a detailed discussion of the code, I shall content myself with examining the three arguments oftenest resorted to in support of property. 1. Appropriation, or the formation of property by possession. 2. The consent of mankind. 3. Prescription. I shall then inquire into the effects of labor upon the relative condition of the laborers and upon property. 1. The land cannot be appropriated. Quote, it would seem that lands capable of cultivation ought to be regarded as natural wealth, since they are not of human creation, but nature's gratuitous gift to man, but inasmuch as this wealth is not fugitive, like the air and water, inasmuch as a field is a fixed and limited space, which certain men have been able to appropriate, to the exclusion of all others who in their turn have consented to this appropriation. The land, which was a natural and gratuitous gift, has become social wealth for the use of which we ought to pay. End quote. Say, political economy. Was I wrong in saying, at the beginning of this chapter, that the economists are the very worst authorities in matters of legislation and philosophy? It is the father of this class of men who clearly states the question, How can the supplies of nature the wealth created by providence become private property and who replies by so gross an equivocation that we scarcely know which the author lacks sense or honesty what i ask has the fixed and solid nature of the earth to do with the right of appropriation i can understand that a thing limited and stationary like the land offers greater chances for appropriation than the water or the sunshine that it is easier to exercise the right of domain over the soil than over the atmosphere. But we are not dealing with the difficulty of the thing, and say confounds the right with the possibility. We do not ask why the earth has been appropriated to a greater extent than the sea and the air. We want to know by which right man has appropriated wealth, which he did not create, and which nature gave to him gratuitously. Say, then, did not solve the question which he asked. But if he had solved it, if the explanation which he has given us were as satisfactory as it is illogical, we should know no better than before who has a right to exact payment for the use of the soil, of this wealth which is not man's handiwork. Who is entitled to the rent of the land? The producer of the land, without doubt. Who made the land? God. Then proprietor, retire. But the creator of the land does not sell it, he gives it and in giving it he is no respecter of persons. Why, then, are some of his children regarded as legitimate, while others are treated as bastards? If the equality of shares was an original right, why is the inequality of conditions a posthumous right? Say gives us to understand that if the air and the water were not of a fugitive nature, they would have been appropriated. Let me observe in passing that this is more than an hypothesis, 
it is a reality men have appropriated the air and the water i will not say as often as they could but as often as they have been allowed to the portuguese having discovered the route to india by the cape of good hope pretended to have the sole right to that route and grotius consulted in regard to this matter by the dutch who refused to recognize this right wrote expressly for this occasion his treatise on the freedom of the seas to prove that the sea is not liable to appropriation the right to hunt and fish used always to be confined to lords and proprietors to-day it is leased by the government and communes to whoever can pay the license fee and the rent to regulate hunting and fishing is an excellent idea but to make it a subject of sale is to create a monopoly of air and water what is a passport a universal recommendation of the traveller's person a certificate of security for himself and his property the treasury whose nature it is to spoil the best things has made the passport a means of espionage and a tax is not this a sale of the right to travel finally it is permissible neither to draw water from a spring situated in another's grounds without the permission of the proprietor because by the right of accession the spring belongs to the possessor of the soil if there is no other claim nor to pass a day on his premises without paying a tax nor to look at a court a garden or an orchard without the consent of the proprietor nor to stroll in a park or an enclosure against the owner's will every one is allowed to shut himself up and to fence himself in all of these prohibitions are so many positive interdictions not only of the land but of the air and water we who belong to the proletaire class property excommunicates us terra et agua et aire et igne interdicti sumus men could not appropriate the most fixed of all the elements without appropriating the three others since by french and roman law property in the surface carries with it property from zenith to nadir cujus est solum ejus et usque ad salum now if the use of water air and fire excludes property so does the use of the soil this chain of reasoning seems to have been presented by m comte in his treatise on property chapter five Quote, if a man should be deprived of air for a few moments only he would cease to exist and a partial deprivation would cause him severe suffering a partial or complete deprivation of food would produce like effects upon him though less suddenly it would be the same at least in certain climates were he deprived of all clothing and shelter to sustain life then man needs continually to appropriate many different things but these things do not exist in like proportions some such as the light of the stars the atmosphere of the earth the water composing the seas and oceans exist in such large quantities that men cannot perceive any sensible increase or diminution each one can appropriate as much as his needs require without detracting from the enjoyment of others without causing them the least harm things of this sort are so to speak the common property of the human race the only duty imposed upon each individual in this regard is that of infringing not at all upon the rights of others let us complete the argument of m comte a man who should be prohibited from walking in the highways from resting in the fields from taking shelter in caves from lighting fires from picking berries 
from gathering herbs and boiling them in a bit of baked clay such a man could not live consequently the earth like water air and light is a primary object of necessity which each has a right to use freely without infringing another's right why then is the earth appropriated monsieur comte's reply is a curious one say pretends that it is because it is not fugitive monsieur comte assures us that it is because it is not infinite the land is limited in amount then according to monsieur comte it ought to be appropriated it would seem on the contrary that he ought to say then it ought not to be appropriated because no matter how large a quantity of air or light any one appropriates no one is damaged thereby there always remains enough for all with the soil it is very different lay hold who will or who can of the sun rays the passing breeze or the sea billows he has my consent and my pardon for his bad intentions but let any man dare to change his right of territorial possession into the right of property and i will declare war upon him and wage it to the death monsieur comte's argument disproves his position quote, among the things necessary to the preservation of life he says there are some which exist in such large quantities that they are inexhaustible others which exist in lesser quantities and can satisfy the wants of only a certain number of persons the former are called common the latter private end quote. The reasoning is not strictly logical. Water, air, and light are common things, not because they are inexhaustible, but because they are indispensable, and so indispensable that for that very reason nature has created them in quantities almost infinite, in order that their plentifulness might prevent their appropriation. Likewise, the land is indispensable to our existence, consequently a common thing, consequently insusceptible of appropriation but land is much scarcer than the other elements therefore its use must be regulated not for the profit of a few but in the interest and for the security of all in a word equality of rights is proved by equality of needs now equality of rights in the case of a commodity which is limited in amount can be realized only by equality of possession an agrarian law underlies monsieur comte's arguments from whatever point we view the question of property provided we go to the bottom of it we reach equality i will not insist farther on the distinction between things which can and things which cannot be appropriated on this point economists and legists talk worse than nonsense the civil code after having defined property says nothing about susceptibility of appropriation and if it speaks of things which are in the market it always does so without enumerating or describing them however light is not wanting there are some few maxims such as these ad regis potestas omnium pertinet ad singulos proprietas omnia rex imperio possidet singula dominio social sovereignty opposed to private property might not that be called a prophecy of equality a republican oracle examples crowd upon us once the possessions of the church the estates of the crown the fiefs of the nobility were inalienable and imperceptible if instead of abolishing this privilege the constituent had extended to it every individual 
if it had declared the right of labor like liberty can never be forfeited at that moment the revolution would have been consummated and we could now devote ourselves to improvement in other directions two universal consent no justification of property in the extract from say quoted above it is not clear whether the author means to base the right of property on the stationary character of the soil or on the consent which he thinks all men have granted to this appropriation his language is such that it may mean either of these things or both at once which entitles us to assume that the author intended to say quote, the right of property resulting originally from the exercise of the will the stability of the soil permitted it to be applied to the land and universal consent has since sanctioned this application End quote. however that may be can men legitimate property by mutual consent i say no such a contract though drafted by grotius montesquieu and j j rousseau though signed by the whole human race would be null in the eyes of justice and an act to enforce it would be illegal man can no more give up labor than liberty now to recognize the right of territorial property is to give up labor since it is to relinquish the means of labor it is to traffic in a natural right and divest ourselves of manhood but i wish that this consent of which so much is made had been given either tacitly or formally what would have been the result evidently the surrenders would have been reciprocal no right would have been abandoned without the receipt of an equivalent in exchange we thus come back to equality again the sine qua non of appropriation so that after having justified property by universal consent that is by equality we are obliged to justify the inequality of conditions by property never shall we extricate ourselves from this dilemma indeed if in the terms of the social compact property has equality for its condition at the moment when equality ceases to exist the compact is broken and all property becomes usurpation we gain nothing then by this pretended consent of mankind end of section nine